I'm a leaving on a jet plane. Okay, Mike. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, today's uh, podcast is about travel. Oh, well, yes, it is. What do, you, what do you think about all the traveling we've been doing? <laughs> you mean like to New Jersey? That is the furthest we've gone is in the last year and how many months since you've been using a wheelchair for your travels. Yeah, we haven't ventured. We haven't ventured far. I'm Mike Sugarman. I'm Janice Wright. And this is I'm Still Rolling. And I am still rolling. I'm in a wheelchair because of a medical mishap more than a year ago. And I'm your wife. Yes, you are. And taking care of me. Yes, sometimes. Not as much as I used to. (laughs) All right, travel. Uh, We haven't really gone anywhere, have we? No, we've been afraid. We've been chicken. Well, for a long time, it was just out of the question. But now... Traveling is always hard, you know, dealing with the airlines and all that. And we just haven't, uh, we haven't made a plan. We haven't gotten out there, but we need some inspiration. And who would give us that inspiration? I think we know. So my name is Renee Bruns. I am a disabled world traveler. I have been to 117 countries. And I just recently received a Guinness World Record for most countries traveled to in one year using a wheelchair. I can't. Uh, this boggles my mind. Just you know, I, I just to get to the lobby from uh, our apartment can be difficult for me. And you have traveled to 117 countries. That's just ridiculous. Yeah, I. Um, it's been you know I, I haven't done them all in one year. I don't want. I don't want it to seem like that. My Guinness world record was for one year. I did 55 countries in that year. All of the other, whatever that would have been 62 countries was, was prior to that. So it's been a lifetime. I'm 39 years old. So, you know, I've, I've had a lot of time to do that, but um, it sometimes boggles my mind too. When I look back on it and say, wow, I've been to, to some of these places that, you know, the average person doesn't go to, and I've been able to do it. And a lot of people look at me and say, you're so courageous. You're so inspirational. And I look at myself and say, I just wanted to live life. And uh, just because I have this um, accomplice with me, this wheelchair, you know, this assistive device doesn't mean that I'm not just as deserving to go out and experience the world the way that other people would. And yes, I get it. A lot of people themselves aren't going out and visiting a hundred in some countries, but that's what I wanted to do. And, uh, you know, and I made it happen. Tell us a little bit about your background, uh, why you're in a wheelchair and, and you're, you've been in a wheelchair since you were a child, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. So I was born with a very rare at the time, undiagnosed skeletal disorder. So, um, you know, obviously started seeing a lot of specialists when I was younger, I stopped walking when I was around seven years old and started using a wheelchair full time. You know, I was walking up until that point, but it wasn't, you know, walking gracefully running marathons and then, you know, instantly overnight starting to use a wheelchair. It it was, it was coming, it was expected, you know, I knew it, my family knew it. And just, you know, one day I started using it full time and just never went back to walking. So, um, you know, I had, I had that with me my whole life. I tell everyone, I don't really remember ever walking because, you know, I was, I was seven, you know, you're a little girl. Um, so this has become very normal for me and my family and everyone that knows me. It's just, it's who I am. Um, and and it, it doesn't come 
that doesn't come without pain. And I always say, if there's one thing in my life, one consistent thing that can bring me to tears, it's the frustration that comes from having a disability. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with admitting that there are challenges that come with that. We all, all have our challenges. Mine are blatantly visible and, you know, they're out there. Everyone can see them. And yes, I do get emotional about them at times. So, um, you know, I'm very open about that. Um, a little bit more about me. I was working as an executive in a Fortune 500 company until May of last year when I set out for Guinness. And I was having a lot of fun, really loving corporate America. Um, But a few months, you know, about a year leading up to it, I I was just really kind of burnt out. Probably not new for, for most people. The world has been heavy and difficult the past couple of years, you know, coming out of the pandemic. And I really was just sitting down saying, what do I want out of the second half of my life. And I knew I needed a change. So I worked with my family, my life partner of 10 years and and ultimately said, you know, take a year, go and travel. You've loved to travel. It always brings new perspective for me. And I set off on a one-year trip to self-discover and see the world and, and just kind of refresh my views of humanity, if you will. And I'm finishing that up here in May. So I am... I've just been out exploring and discovering and redefining my future. And I understand from what I've read about you that when you were a child, going from one doctor to the other, that's where the travel bug kind of set in. I call it the silver lining of my disability that I, you know, I I grew up in a very, very small town in rural Ohio. So, you know, rural, rural America, there were 3000 people in my town and, um, I think if I wouldn't have had the disability where we had to go out and go to New York city and go to Boston and go to all of these different places, I likely would have stayed relatively close to home. And not that that's a bad thing. That's a wonderful way to live, but I had a different perspective of the world and my whole family did because they were, you know, they were along on this journey. And, and because of that, I started to see that the world is big and vast and there's so many different people and experiences and ways to live. And it really sparked my, my interest in, in adventure and travel. We're in New York City, and, and uh, I'm sort of new to the wheelchair. And uh, I'm just starting to get, like, on the subway. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I, I've had trouble getting on the subway because there's a big gap between the, mm-hmm. the, the car and the platform. And this is New York City. This is you know, a world-class city in the United States of America, I can't imagine what you went through going to some of these, you know, the stands. You went to all the stands, and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you were in Africa, and you were in Antarctica. Mm -hmm. I I just can't imagine what you went through. Yeah, so I will comment on your your New York City subway experience. I have also tried to use the the subway in New York City and um, talk about something that will bring you to tears. (laughs) I mean, that's so your feelings of frustration are not um, invalid. They're very warranted. And I often just say, you know, I throw my hands up and it's like, I'm going to get an Uber. I can't, I can't deal with this because it's such a feeling of you're you're so trapped. It's like, I just want to get down the road five blocks and I can't even get on the subway that everyone else in the United States of America, you know, we should be better than this. It should not be this way. So your feelings are are legitimate. Um, one of the things, though, it's really interesting how you say, you know, you've been to all these continents, all these countries, the stands, you know, much of you know, parts of Africa. I haven't done a ton in Africa yet, but 
There is a huge cultural difference in much of the world compared to the United States. And, and that's, this is going to sound like a negative thing, but it's just, it's a factual observation. So I don't want anyone to feel like this is, is a, a bash against any specific culture, but in so many other parts of the world, there are these people who just help. So they see you, you know, you're trying to cross the street and there's not a ramp to get, you know, down the curb and then back up the curb. So I, and then this has happened to me so many times. I look at it and I say, how am I going to get down this curb and then cross the street and get back up? And out of nowhere, two or three people will come along and just help. And there's language barriers, there's cultural differences, there's, you know, gender differences, and it all becomes very comfortable because we know what the ultimate goal is. The ultimate goal is to get me across the street and they just do it with such kindness and authenticity that it just feels very comfortable. And I think part of that is because there isn't regulation in much of the world around everything should be accessible. So because that regulation isn't there, it falls back on the people and they just pick up that, that piece that's missing. So, you know, it's, it's, it's just a different cultural piece. And this has happened to me with a couple of subways in other parts of the world where exactly like you were saying, it's how am I going to get there? There's a big gap or, you know, a small step. I'm not going to be able to get through and somewhere somehow people just come out of the woodwork and in the United States, I find that people just kind of stare at you and say, oh, that's your problem, not mine. Well, I, I have a different experience. In New York, people are incredibly nice and do what you've been talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll op great. open a door or they'll push me uh, across the street or and, and they're just random people. Good, good. And, and maybe things are changing. It's been a while since I've been in New York. So I don't, again, I don't want that to be a negative comment. Well, I, th I think actually one of the upsides of the pandemic is in some ways, I think people got nicer. The, yes. and, and, and this may be reflected in Mike's experience so far in New York with people um, since this happened right after the yeah. height of the pan pandemic. So yeah, let's talk about your travels. Um, what was the first country you went to? Uh, I'll leave it with that, and then I want to know your favorite country. What was the first one? So the first country I went to alone, or the first country, okay, the first country I went to alone was this past May, I went to Indonesia. Okay. So very that, far away. How was that? Um, I was petrified going into it. Um, you know, I was by myself, and it's, you know, it's not a modern country. Um, it to go back to your second question, my favorite country, it's probably one of my favorites. Um, and, and probably because I went on my own and I realized that I can do this and it's going to be hard. I'm going to have emotions that come with it, but if I fight through it, the reward is going to be so much better. So I think, um, it's beautiful. The people are amazing. It's not accessible in a lot of ways. There are parts of it that are, there are parts of it that aren't. So you just got to focus on the parts that are more accessible um, and then lean on the people to help you. This is pretty expensive, I'm guessing. How, how are you paying for this? I, so this has been a long time dream of mine to take a year and travel. So I put all of my pennies into a, you know, an account that I saved and, you know, I wasn't buying all the extra clothing that a lot of people are. I didn't have two cars, you know, I don't have a multi-million dollar home. I was living very, um, economically, you know, and saving everything that I could. 
I also will tell you that if you look at any of my social media, you don't see the hotel rooms that I was staying in because they were, you know, they were questionable at times. I would stay in hostels if I had to with shared bathrooms and shared rooms. So I was not, you know, living the, the luxurious lifestyle while I was doing this. And I had a very, very strict budget that I updated every day. This is what I spent. And if I was over one day, I would make it up the next day. So it was you know, very well planned out. And I, I was very, very careful about not overspending. So what would you say are some of the biggest challenges in, in some of the countries that you went to? Airlines are difficult. <laughs> We've heard that. We haven't tried it yet. We've just, yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just an emotional experience because it's, you never know what to expect. And you know, the, the minute they take your wheelchair from you, it's, they take your freedom from you. Um, and you don't know what they're going to do with that. So um, airlines are difficult for all the reasons that you've probably read and heard about. Um, a second, I would say is just infrastructure. You know, there are places where you go to have dinner and you think, oh, if I need to use the restroom, I'll use the restroom, but come to find out the restroom is in the basement or, you know, the door is not wide enough. And so, you know, here you are, you need to use the restroom and you can't, um, or you get to your hotel and you just assume that you should be able to get to your room, but you get to the entrance of the hotel and there's four steps to get into the lobby with no ramp. Um, so, you know, those unexpected things that come with just the infrastructure and, um, the the inconsistency between each country and the regulation. There's just not regulation in a lot of places. Well, also there, you go to ancient places, right? With ancient buildings, ancient narrow cobblestone streets. Some of it is pretty unavoidable, I would imagine. Cobblestone is a great one that you mentioned. I, it's, it's such a a catch 22 for me because I think it's so beautiful and it brings out, you know, it adds character to a city or a town, but it is like the devil for a wheelchair. I just I hate it. And I get so angry and frustrated because I can't go anywhere. But I look at it, I try to remove myself from my own personal selfish situation and say, well, what do we do? Do we tear that out and destroy the history? Or, you know, it's, it's such a, a difficult problem to solve for. Let me tell you, cobblestones are bad when you're walking on them too. My back went out in Mexico, and and I realized I've been walking on cobblestones for days, and I could barely move after walking right. on those cobblestones. Right. For sure. Why are you doing this? What what is it inside of you that makes you want to travel and get this world rec- this this uh, Guinness Book of World Records? Yeah. I think for me, so the Guinness is an added plus, of course, you know, it's, it's fun to say I have a Guinness world record and, you know, all the the fame and glory that comes with that. Um, When I set out to go on this year long trip, the Guinness was, it was not my ultimate goal. I actually didn't contact them until after I had left. So, um, you know, it was an added bonus and again, fun and, you know, everything that comes with that, all the attention, everything. But the reason for me, I think is much deeper. And I, it's hard for me to articulate exactly what I was looking for, but I think at the end of the day, I, I look at my life and I, I was born into this situation where I had a different set of cards. You know, I had these physical challenges and they were limiting and they were frustrating. And as I've gone through my career, as I've gone through my life, as I've gone through dating and making friends, there's a huge number of challenges that come with that and a huge amount of rejection. And you can sit there and put up all of your armor and say, I love myself. I'm, you know, all, you know, I'm, this isn't my fault, but it's hard to have those societal messages to, to keep them out for so long. So I was really wanting to go out and say, 
to find myself. And I was really searching for some connection with humanity that felt very different than what I was experiencing, you know, working my way up from a career standpoint, living the, the American dream, if you will. And I, I needed to validate my own existence, if that makes any sense. It does. It does. We are not going to let you off the hook without you telling us where we should go first. We haven't gone anywhere in the past year since Mike's been in his wheelchair. We we're hoping to go to California to see our friends. That's where we're originally from. So small trips like that. But where would you go? Where would we go from New York? Where where will we should we go first in Europe? In Europe, I would go to the Nordic countries. So Norway, Sweden, Denmark, head there. And you, they're, you know, obviously very developed. It's um, everything's accessible. Even the trains to get between the cities are um, accessible. So you shouldn't, ha- you should have no problems. Um, you know, if, if you do, if you enjoy trains in Europe, um, I would head there. I think you would have a great time. Very little frustration. Everything should be accessible, you know, even hotel rooms, you know, if you email them ahead of time and reserve that accessible room, they should be able to do that for you. Now you, you mentioned, would you say Indonesia was your favorite country? Yeah. But not for beginners. Not for beginners. Not well, for beginners. I, 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 you know what? You would be fine. You're going to fight through it. If you get there, you're going to figure it out. But, um, you know, if you're really wanting to go and just get out internationally, I'd head to the Nordic countries. What, what's the worst country you've been to? My least favorite trip was Morocco. I don't even know that it was an accessible issue. It's, it's Africa. Africa is just less, you know, it's, it's less developed, less um, infrastructure. Um, but Morocco was my least favorite. And Antarctica. That was obviously a trip of a lifetime, you know, not a, not a lot of people go there. I probably won't ever go back, but Antarctica, um, it was difficult. They were very hesitant about having me join from a, you know, what, are, what is she going to be able to do? What is she not going to be able to do? My family came along with me on that trip and my younger sister, who is an, an athlete doing Ironmans and, you know, she's very, very much in shape. She has um, piggybacked me through a number of places around the world, and she committed to being my my piggybacker. Um, so we what we did in Antarctica, we took a cruise or you know a, a ship, um, and then we would get off onto smaller. They called them zodiacs, so like a smaller air, you know, the boats that fill up with air, and we would you know drive to or you know uh, sail over to the mainland. I often didn't get out because it would be difficult to be on the snow and ice and she would slip if I was on her back. But on those rare occasions where I did, I, she would piggyback me. How, how, how far can she piggyback you? Well, I'm probably, and that's a great question. We've never, we've never tested the endurance of it. <laughs> it's usually, <laughs> let's get to a, a place close by and then you're going to sit down. Well, you probably, I'm sure you weigh less than I do. <laughs> it would be hard for someone to piggyback me, but I yeah. saw on your uh, website that uh, Mm -hmm. a lot of people did that for you. Yeah. I have had strangers around the world piggyback me, you know, typically men. um, But, you know, I've had a few women, but typically men will just come over. And I, it's some of the, one of the most heartwarming things ever to have these men just say, Oh, here's a few steps, hop on my back and and I'll carry you up. Um, It's, a little bit gross sometimes because there's sweat and, you know, it's usually hot when these things are happening, but you just got to roll with the punches and say, you know, God, this person is like willing to pick me up. How fantastic. Is that also part of what you were talking about? How, because there's no ADA in so many of these countries and different cultures where 
mm-hmm. cult, they're used to taking care of each other and taking care of their elders. <laughs> you obviously yeah. are not an elder, yeah. but you know, so you'd grab grandma, put, put her on your, your, yeah. your back yeah. and you know, cause you had no choice. Right, right, right. Yeah, absolutely. And I've had some pick me up, you know, like the same way you would carry a, a child or a baby and, and, you know, whatever works for them. But to your point, I think there are some cultural components there and it's just different. Janice said you're not a, a senior, but uh, how old are you? I am 39. Okay. And you have quite a social media presence. Tell yeah. us about your uh, website and your Instagram. So my website is wheelstravelstheworld.com. I put um, my stories out there about traveling with, you know, some personal aspect on it from a wheelchair. And then my Instagram is wheels travels. Okay. Well, thank you for the conversation and the uh, instructions. And uh, where did you say we're going to go first? We're going to go to the Nordic countries. The Nordic countries. (laughs) We'll have to choose one or go to go to several yes (laughs) okay all right thanks again wow i think renee was just the inspiration we needed to start traveling she was she was incredible so brave yeah i don't know if i'm that brave i don't think i'm ready to go to 117 countries i'd like to go to one to start okay that sounds good I want to go to a beach and lay. I want to go and lay on a beach, you know, full white lotus kind of a thing without a murder, without a murder. No murder. But that would be yeah. Or, or a cruise. A cruise apparently that those those would be pretty easy. But now Renee was much too adventurous. No, she said she she had been on some cruises. That's right. Yeah. So what'd you learn, Mike? From- well, I'm glad she agreed with me about the New York City subways. I mean, she's been to 117 countries, and this. She said it was tough, tough, tough. She said that she occasionally cries about her about being in a wheelchair. I mean, she, she cries the frustration of it. And one thing that will make her cry are the New York City subways. They, they are shameful, uh, as she said. And in a major city like this, that they're so inaccessible is really a crime. And what she said was she found people all over the world helpful, always helpful, except in the United States, yeah. which I disagreed with. You did? Yeah. Uh, because people have been very helpful to you. But, and she, but from her perspective, having traveled so much, um, she felt it was a cultural difference. And I found this fascinating, that because there are fewer regulations, because they don't have... Um, accessibility laws and rules. Um, she felt that people thought they have to take up the slack on their own, so that they have to help their their fellow citizens on their own. They they they're not made to, you know, but they but they want to. Um, so that uh, that was that was an interesting distinction, I felt. And I was interested in the money because it sounds like she you'd have to spend a fortune to do this. But she said she was on a budget most of the time, and if she went over one day, she spent less the next day. Uh, but she stayed in hostels and things, and I don't think we're ready for that. Well, she's also quite a bit younger than we are, so we wouldn't be staying in hostels. Elder I, hostels. We wouldn't be staying in those under any circumstances, wheelchair or not. Oh, she, she did say that, there, that one of the silver linings of her disability 
was she was from a very small rural uh, town, and she had because she um, had her um, condition since she was a child. She and her family had to travel a lot to different just to get to different doctors and different hospitals and and that kind of opened up the world to her. It opened up her eyes. And, and speaking of that, when she said that she could walk until she was seven, it really broke my heart as a mom. Um, well, it probably break it. You don't have to be a mom for this to break your heart. But the the thought of having a child who could walk and then at some point they had to be in a wheelchair. That must have been really, really tough, really tough. Well, I walked till I was 68. Right. And uh, It was still tough. It was still, no, it wasn't tough. Well. But uh, when I'm around other people in chairs and in my condition, they look at me after a year and they go, well, you're just a baby. I mean, you're a rookie, rookie paraplegic uh, because, you know, m many people have been in the wheelchair 30, 40 years and they... They know what it's like, and I'm still learning. You are still learning. An, another interesting aspect was we were talking about cultural differences and things and geographic differences. And she was talking about, well, I think you asked her, you know, the challenges, some of the biggest challenges besides the New York City subway. Um, cobblestone streets, charming. You, you did, you asked her about, you know, charming little towns where you go and things are very old. And she said she's conflicted about accessibility there. Do you tear up these charming cobblestone streets for so that it's easier for those who need who need to or in wheelchairs or or you know, visually impaired or whatever? Or is there a line that you draw and say no? We're, we're going to leave the beauty of this particular area or the heritage of this particular area. Uh, what's the balance here? That's and I think that's an ongoing question everywhere. Where's the balance? between um, helping the disabled and, and it, it's, it's been an issue with small businesses. How, how much do you demand of small businesses uh, when they can't afford to make things accessible? Well, debate? Uh, debate. <laughs> no, I, debate, I don't know, but I, I am looking forward to moving stairway on the Roman steps. Uh, well, that'd be good. They do have, I saw a picture of this, this uh, ramp kind of a system they have in Venice, apparently along the canal. So we ought to, we need to, maybe we should go there instead of one of those Nordic countries <laughs> right away. Yeah, oh. we're not really Nordic people. Well, no, no knock on the Nordic countries, but yeah, they sound cold. <laughs> you want hot. I want, yeah, I want a beach. I want, I want I, you know, I want somebody, I want somebody bringing me an umbrella drink, that, that kind of a deal. All right, I promise we'll get there someday. <laughs> All right. I'm Mike Sugarman. And I'm Janice Wright. And this is I'm Still Rolling.